You sum it up, the, the great theologian, Notorious B.I.G. said, more money, more problems. Uh, pretty similar. Uh, before we get into that, though, I do want to just take a moment and, uh, and acknowledge the reality that um, we are in, in the midst of historic times um, as far, in, in terms of a, a victory for life and uh, what God values. Uh, and also, th- with that comes this reminder of this incredible division and incredible spiritual warfare that, that still exists. Uh, and so just want to, I mean, if you're new, um, I, I think it, you can look around at anybody near you, and, and they would tell you, like, hey, this is a church that talks about this often. And so, like, we're not just taking advantage of, like, we're, we're going to preach the sermon we were scheduled to preach and keep going, but I just want to enter in for just a moment and, and, and name the fact that, hey, like, God has answered the prayers of faithful saints that have been praying for years and years and years. Yeah, amen. At, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. Like, that, that, is, that is worthy of applause, is worthy of celebration. Uh, 100%, like, lives will be saved, and, and, and that is a good thing. Amen. And we don't have to apologize for celebrating that. Um, and so we want to we do that. I want to I give us space to do that. And, and then at the same time, like there's, there's lots of dissent and there's lots of people that, that will remind us that there's, there's still a lot of work to do and that this doesn't fix the underlying problems. And that's true. And again, I would say we've been trying to be about that work here at The Journey for a long time, being holistically pro-life and engaged um, uh, in the foster care system and adopting and, and walking with folks as much as we can. So we're going to keep doing that work. And, and, and I th- I'm grateful that we're a church that I think is, is ahead of that curve and we're actually able to invite others that are considering now, okay, now what is the work to, hey, hey, hey join us. There's, there's good work here with Restore Network. There's good net work here um, with some other organizations. And so we're going to continue uh, to do that. But at the same time, I just think it's important for us as a people to remember that, hey, we, like we... Um, like, we're not fixed now. Like, there are underlying issues that, that, that drive this problem to the surface, and I think this is a win. I think lives will be saved. I know lives will be saved. I think even, uh, even very progressive and far-left uh, liberal um, you know, news outlets have, have estimated around 14, like, at, at minimum, like, it, abortions would be reduced by 14%. Well, that's a lot of lives. That's a lot of lives. Hopefully it's even more. Um, but we also need to be able to be a people who can recognize that, okay, um, there are other people who are genuine and sincere on the other side of this conversation and uh, are not likely to be won over with mere facts and logic. And sometimes it's hard to make sense out of the, the, the stuff that's going on and the, the different sides. And, and Like, how could you be so passionate about something? Like, it's important for us to remember, hey, we don't struggle against flesh and blood. Okay, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, like our struggle is against powers and principalities of spiritual darkness. And, and that's what's behind the tension. And so um, that's, that's what drives, what, what, what's pushing uh, our country to a boiling point. And, uh, you know, like that's where we as Christians, we, we sing a song here occasionally by Phil Wilkham that, uh, that says, hey, when we fight, we fight on our knees with our hands lifted high. And I think that's just important for us to remember. I think that's how Roe v. Wade got overturned. And I think that's how we will go forward. And it's also just important to remember, hey, we live in Babylon, not Jerusalem. Okay? So we need to, we need to have that perspective and understand that we, we are, we're, we're not going to see our legislate, our government and our legislator, like it's not going to line up with, with God's word perfectly because we live in a fallen world uh, America is a, is a nation that's been blessed and, and greatly used by God, but God has no covenant with this nation. God has no particular you know, promise to us as Americans. He will use America for his glory. 
Okay? And so we don't need to be surprised by this tension. In fact, we need to be all the more focused by the work he's called us to do as the church. Okay, so we need to be focused there, influence where we can in the, in the world, in the government, and rejoice when we can. Rejoice when we get a victory such as this week. And at the same time go, okay, now, now uh, like we rejoice over a battle won, and okay, now we're looking ahead at the rest of the war. So I hope that makes some sense. Just know that we've talked about this, a couple different podcasts um, that we've done, other sermons. And so if you're new and you're like, hey, what, that was really like short and confusing, and like, could you tell me more about where you guys land on this whole conversation? I'd be glad to, and we could point you to some of the resources. So I want to pray and, and just, just step into that for a moment, and then we're going to talk about money. Uh, which is not unrelated, but anyway, let's, let's get into it. God, um, we say thank you. We, like the round of applause, is, is, um, is toward you. Like we know that, um, that you care about lives. We, we know that you have heard the prayers of your saints, and, and while you don't owe us anything, and you're not covenanted to us as, as a people, that you still show grace and kindness and most of all, mercy toward us as a people who live amongst a, a people of unclean and wicked lips. Like, we, we don't deserve to even be standing here. We deserve to be burnt up into a crisp and, and in hell forever. But you have shown us grace. You have shown us mercy. Uh, as your people, we say thank you. We say thank you for, for this moment of, 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 of victory in, in terms of a pro-life cause. And we pray that as the world uh, seemingly, in some ways, turns and looks at the church and, and we'll be asking, okay, now what are you going to do that now that this has been achieved, I pray that you would stir your people, stir your people this morning across the whole nation, across the world, like in Southern Illinois, that you would stir your people to say, yeah, we, we're, we're not just about voting, we're not just about this legislation, but we are pro-life. We will care for the vulnerable. We will step in and we will open our homes and our lives to, to single mothers who are terrified and scared, to addicts who are trying to get sober, to kiddos who don't have a home. I pray that you would stir your people to live our lives full of mercy and justice and love the way that you've called us to Christ. And that that witness would then speak back to the world that Jesus is the way. That Jesus is the way toward healing. That Jesus is the way forward for us as a people. So we, as a portion of your people, look to you and ask you to do that here in our midst. We say thank you and we invite you in. We surrender our lives to your kingdom cause. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we keep on going through Ecclesiastes, I said at the beginning of this book uh, that, that the, the primary objective that I think Solomon has is, is helping us learn how to live life. Like, this is actually a really earthy book. He's going he's gonna to unpack some really big questions, but in, in that, his hope is to teach us how to live. Like, there's some really practical, like, rubber meets the road stuff. And so uh, he's leading us to ask really big philo uh, philosophical questions, stare really intently at the honest answers, and then reverse engineer our life accordingly. So what I mean by that, I think he, he, Solomon is at this place of, 
of incredible power, influence, and privilege where he's had the chance to ex explore and experiment with what life is about. And he's now able to sit back and go, okay, now, for your sake, as you're trying to figure out life, let me take you down this road and show you what's at the end so that you can look back and decide what path you want to take and how you want to take it. Right? Here's what life is about. Here's the answers to some of these big questions. Now, reverse engineer your life so much so that, or in, in such a way that you honor God and get joy out of the way that you exist. And so uh, today he's going to get real personal yet again. He's, he's spent a whole bunch of verses talking about money. Like, so in this conversation about how do we live life, he knows that if we don't learn to rightly um, view and handle and, and um, treat money, we have no hope of surviving in this world. That, that it, Jesus talked about money a ton. I mean, it's famously quoted. Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. Like, he, he warned against money. He talked about money a ton. The Bible is full of other proverbs and warnings about money because, and we say this often, just briefly, we usually talk about giving here at The Journey. And we, we, we do give and, and, uh, and we do worship through giving. So we, we believe that the church should be a place that collects tithes and offerings, but that the church should not be a place that is trying to get people's money for the sake of the church or the people who work at the church. Rather, that the church collects tithes and offerings as a, as a way of worshiping God. That we have been blessed by God with, with his resources, right? Everything that is on this earth is his. And so when he allows us to be stewards of whatever he gives us, that we give back a portion of that as a way of saying, Lord, we worship you and we trust in you. And the reason that he's put that in place as a rhythm for his people is that he knows that it's, it's very likely that this good gift that he's given us in money Money's neutral, okay? It's a good gift that's given. It can be used bad. It can be, money itself is not bad. But he knows that what money can do can poison our hearts. And we can be tempted to trust in it, to hope in it, to cling to it, to our detriment. To our detriment, okay? What I mean by that is God will be fine, okay? Whether you give your money or not, God's not missing any meals, He'll be fine. You understand that, right? If we serve a God that needs our money, then he's not God. Amen? So it, it, when we choose not to worship through giving, when we choose not to give uh, our tithes and offerings to him, it will lead to our detriment, not his. And he cares about us. We say often here that, that with, when the Lord gives us commands, he gives us instruction, he's never trying to take from us. He's never trying to steal our fun. He's never trying to you know, tighten down the screws on us. He's always without exception, trying to lead us to life. He's a good father, and he's trying to lead us to life. So this is why he warns us about money. This is why he's so intent, making sure that we understand the dangers of money. But to be clear, uh, John Calvin, I think, sums it up well. He says, riches uh, do not, in their own nature, hinder us from following God. But in consequence of the depravity of the human mind, it is scarcely possible for those who have so great abundance to avoid being intoxicated by that very thing, the money. So, in other words, it's not money, it's wrong. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to be wealthy. The question isn't, how much money can I have without it being wrong? Right? That's not the question. Uh, the question is, does your, do you have money or does money have you? Okay, similar to the alcohol conversation. It's not about like, can I or can I not? Like it, how much and you know, one, one beer or two, one glass. Of, like, no, no. It's at what point does it begin to have you and dominate you? 
That's the point you've crossed the line. That's where it's no longer okay. And so similar with money, like it's not wrong to have money, but at what point does money begin to have control of you and consume you? It's, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's what? The love of money that is the root of all evil. That's what leads to much of the evil. And, and, and that's not just like this really like nice church saying. As we're going to see here from Solomon, like that gets down into the, the explaining life. Like that gets down into explaining the brokenness of this world. Okay, so you see here uh, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 8 is where we started. And he just talks, he just starts naming stuff that he sees in the world. He says, okay, listen, when you see a province or, you know, uh, a state, a, a country, a, a town or whatever, uh, and the, the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and the righteous, when you see that happening, when you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, don't be amazed. It's back to the conversation we had earlier. Like, we shouldn't be surprised by the evil that proceeds forth from our world. Why? Because, he goes, the person running that job, the person running that province, they got somebody watching over them. And then there's somebody yet higher than them. There, there, there are yet higher ones over them. What's he saying? He said, listen, we shouldn't be surprised whenever people are taking advantage of people below them in the workforce or in the economic structure. Like, we shouldn't be surprised by that. In fact, we should almost expect it because people are depraved. Like there is this, there is this uh, inclination for people to be so uh, influenced and caught up with the pursuit of money that they will take advantage of other people so that they can get more themselves. And so he's just naming something that we see all the time, that we, that we groan about, that we name and, and grieve often. And he's saying, listen, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Because whoever's doing that, they're being watched by somebody else and somebody's above them and, and the profit increases as they go up. And, and that can, can lead to much evil. But he says this. We're going to come back to this first. But, but he notes it right here in verse 9. He says, but there's gain in the land in every way when this happens, when a king is committed to cultivating fields. So he's saying as you look at the oppression that's happening locally, you just you can likely look just another step up and then another step up and you'll see that that's coming down line, right? Uh, but here's what is really good, he says, when the one who's at the top, the king, when, when the king who holds the most wealth and the most power, when they're invested in cultivating fields, what does that mean? Does the king need fields? Probably not. He, he's cultivating fields for the people. When the king is invested in the good of the people, when the person in power is, is worried about the good of the people, then there's real good for everybody involved. That's when a, a land or a province, in this case, would flourish, okay? So, so he, he's simply setting that up and making some note. Now he's going to go deeper and explain why. He goes, verse 10, he says, he who loves money will, will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity, okay? This is the theme of Ecclesiastes. What's, what, what will get me the meaning of life? What will cause me to be satisfied? He tries these things, he tries this, he ends up saying it's all vanity, saying the same thing here. Person who has wealth, and listen, you need to let this speak to you personally. Like, you've all thought, okay, when you've, you've been in that position of being the one working underneath somebody, and you've thought about, you, you thought that, man, I wish if I had my boss's salary, right? If I, man, if I had the boss's boss's salary, man, you see his house, right? See what they drive? I mean, Probably give us all a raise, you know, drive a normal car, whatever. Like, you've had those sorts of thoughts about the people above you, right? The people that, that are down, like, and you, you get this, this posture in your heart. And, and Solomon says, no, like, 
We shouldn't be surprised by this. And we need to take it as a warning because if, if you had your boss's salary or your boss's boss's salary, guess what? Your heart would be just as empty as it is now. Your heart would be just as empty no matter how full your checking account is. That's the warning that he's putting forward here. right? This is, this is why money is so dangerous because it promises fulfillment. It promises satisfaction, but it never delivers. Right? It, it, it never delivers. Its, it's satisfaction is, is, is going to be sold separately from your new salary or from the car or from the house that you bought. Like You, you, you can allow yourself to think that the stuff... This wealth, this, this income will satisfy you, and in reality, you'll find that it does not. Okay, Unless you think this is just the Bible saying this stuff, and this is what the preacher wants you to say, so you'll give or whatever. I want you to hear a little bit from some, some quote-unquote real-world people, many of whom have, have got money themselves. Right? Let, listen to them speak back down line to us. There's uh, a famous quote from Will Rogers says that too many people spend money they earn to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't even like. Dave Ramsey warns that, that you must gain control over your money or the lack of it will forever control you. And then Ralph Waldo Emerson just simply says, money often costs too much. That, that it can cost us so much trying to pursue it and get it that that. It's not worth it. Solomon is going to go on to explain the same thing. Verse 11, he says, when goods increase, guess what also increase? The problems, right? This is, this is what Biggie was saying. More money, more problems. Like, you got more money, you got more people around you needing it. You got more, you got more uh, requirement of staff to maintain it. You got more, like, there's more people that are around you now needing to be taken care of. There's more measures that have to be taken. It's more of a headache, right? And he says, and what advantage is it to their owner but to see it with his eyes, right? So I got more money, but I got to feed more people. I got to do more stuff. And, and, and what good is it? Like, I could see it in my bank account. I could see it, but... That's it. Like, it's not actually sustaining me. It's not, it's not filling me up. He goes on to say, it even robs you of your sleep. Verse 12, sleep is, or sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. I heard one, one commentator actually tied this to the rise and uh, just the demand for fitness centers and gyms in our day and age. It's to compensate for the, the, the wealth and comfort that we just have at our fingertips. Because what Solomon is saying is, you go out and do a hard day's work, you feel better. Like, you need that. Like, your body, okay, let me just start in case you don't know. Your body is made to be active. You need exercise, right? You need to be doing stuff. And when we have sedentary lifestyles that, that we physically don't do anything, it, it can actually have real health issues behind that. You, you can't sleep oftentimes. Not, you don't feel well. Okay, so Solomon's just simply saying, hey, the guy who goes out there and works his tail off physically, he's going to sleep pretty good on average. I know there's exceptions. I know there's some of you that, that do. But on average, you're saying, hey, the, 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 the sweet is the sleep of a laborer. But guess what? The guy who's, who's got his belly full, the guy who's rich, man, he's turning over. He, he can't sleep. He, he's worried about it. He, he, he can't shut his mind off, right? Some, some of you, like, that's a real simple, like, we're not about self-help here at the church, but, like, let the Bible speak where it is. Like, exercise might really transform your life. Like, you might feel better. 
It's good. Like, it, it can help you get better sleep, feel more healthy. And, and Solomon's simply pointing out that, listen, there's, there's a cascading effect to the, the level of comfort and riches that we have. And listen, if you don't realize, like, we as just a people are rich. You may not think you're rich because you can see somebody who has more money than you. But if you're willing to open your eyes to the rest of the world, there's a whole, like, the majority of the world still doesn't have, like, the, the daily amenities, like running water and, you know, we can't go to the supermarket and just buy stuff. Like, so we are a rich people. The poorest of us here in America is in the upper, you know, the upper percentile in, compared to the whole world. And so, like, there's a cost that comes to that. And some, for some of you, it's very practically, you, you, you don't feel well. You can't shut your mind. Like, and part of that is rooted in you're, you're, you got anxiety over do you have enough and what are you going to do next and, and how am I going to pay for this and I've overextended myself in debt and now i got to pay for this. Like, you can't sleep. It's, it's, you become a slave to it, as Proverbs would say. But the cost keeps going. As Ralph Waldo Emerson said, money often costs too much. He keeps going. He says, there's another grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Verse 13, riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Okay, so this is a guy who, who saved his money, who was really worried about money, like so much so that, that it cost him in other ways. Like he wasn't really taking care of his family the way that he should. He wasn't taking care of himself the way that he should so that he could have these riches. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. It's a quick statement, but it's oh so true. And you've seen it play out over and over again. But who's so consumed with what they're going to have, and, and, and are they going to have enough, and, and, and they just posture themselves, let them chase after these things, and he goes, and then trying to get more, I don't, we don't know the story, right, he doesn't provide us any more details, but whatever it is, they're lost in a bad venture, it, it, like business venture, whatever it is, it goes wrong, and he loses it all, and he goes, and he's the father of a son, this guy had a family, so he wasn't just hurting himself, but he had a family, and now he has nothing to leave to them. Verse 15, as he came from his mother, mother's womb, he shall go again. This guy is bankrupt. He's lost it all. He, he has nothing now. Naked as he came, he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry it away in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Right? Somebody who's just working for the sake of gaining money, working for the sake of earning more stuff. These people end up lonely. Moreover, all he says, he, he eats in darkness and in much vexation and sickness and in anger. That, that money can end up having such a hold on you that you can't enjoy your meals with your family. You can't enjoy life. You're just worried about the next thing. You're just worried about it. You, you, you get totally sucked in, totally consumed with it. So, what do we do? Verse 18, he says, Behold, I've, I've seen to be good, and what, I, what I've seen to be good and fitting. Okay, so Solomon going, okay, this is like money ends up being the cause, the root of a lot of the jacked up issues in our world. Okay, thanks, Solomon. That's helpful. You've diagnosed the problem. What do we do about it? He says, this is what I've seen to be good and fitting. Eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. So what's, what's he say? He says, you need to learn to enjoy life. You need to learn to enjoy your work. 
instead of working in such a way that, man, I, I got to get this much stuff, and if I like, and, and always having your eye on the next thing, and this, 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 this pursuit of an unending appetite, as he's going to say in a minute, that's going to kill you. But if you learn to enjoy your work, you learn to enjoy the fruit of your work, eat, drink, like, okay, you, you went to work, maybe you're not making the amount of money that you'd like to be making, but were you able to eat? You learn to enjoy that meal. You have a home? You learn to enjoy that home, right? Like this is, this is what he's, he's pointing us to. And this is, this is what God has given us. We talked about work a few weeks ago. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a curse to overcome. We're not, we shouldn't just be sprinting toward retirement thinking that life begins then. No, like doing stuff for this world, like for the Lord in this world is part of how we're wired and it's, it's not a wrong thing. And if we don't learn to enjoy that, it's going to lead to our death. It's going to lead to being consumed by this other thing. So keep going. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not remember much the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. How many of y'all hate Monday mornings? Or you're really glad to see Friday, right? Like, and, and you're quick to point out how hard it is and how, how frustrating. And some of y'all love your jobs, and that's not true, and that's good. But, but there's, this, there's this, like, rhythm. And, and listen, that's the, result of the, that's the result of the fall. Not working in general, but that's what we see in Genesis 3. He's like, okay, because of the fall, now work's going to be hard, and it's going to go this way. But if you notice what he says here, is like this, the gift of God is for, for us to be able to enjoy work. And he says so much so that when God does this in our life, we won't remember the hard stuff. We won't be focused on the hard stuff. He doesn't mean that we won't remember the days of our life literally. He means we won't remember the hard stuff. How many of you have been around somebody who has had a baby? Okay, I don't know if you realize, that's hard. Carrying the baby? That looks real miserable, mamas. I'm sorry. Like, especially at the end. I'm like, my goodness, right? Delivering the baby? That's hard. It's painful. Feeding that baby, for those of you who are breastfed, that's hard. That's painful, right? But there's this weird thing that happens to moms. Like a few minutes, a few months in, they're like, I want to do that again. They're like, Look real hard, right? But there's, a, there's, I mean, there's a chemical. There's, there's like actual chemical explanations, right? There's, there's beauty going on. There's, there's bonding going on. There's like God has made them in such a way that, that actually, as they're feeding that baby, as they're bonding that baby to that baby, they, they are actually wired to forget the pain that, that they, they went through to bring that baby into the world. And you're like, well, I remember. I, I know, but like, this is what he's talking about. You remember, but you don't dwell on it. Why? Because you have joy. This, this, this gift that you were given through that laborious, like that really hard thing, makes up for it. And, and now you no longer focus on the, the, the pregnancy. You focus on the gift of that child. And, and he's actually saying, this is what money and work can be. If, if we see it as a gift from God, then we can enjoy our jobs, we can enjoy our lives, and we won't be focused on the negative. We'll just be able to like the joy will override it. So how, how do we get there? How do, how do we get to this place where money's not dominating and not crushing us? Well, I think what, what you'll see, not only from this scripture, it's actually a theme throughout all, but, 
But what you're hearing from him is he says, listen, to the one who, who God has given the power to enjoy, this is in the middle of verse 19, and to accept, okay, to, to have joy and to accept his lot, that's the person who's going to be able to enjoy life in this way. Okay, so how do we get there? What, what does that look like? I, the, the, the scriptural, like the, the, the word here that, that he's leading us to is contentment. That, that when we have contentment, that's what will fuel, that will, that's what will allow us to enjoy the rest of this life, right? So, so how do we get that? Like that's the, um, that's the deal. Uh, there's a couple other quotes. Uh, one from, from Seneca says that it's not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more that is actually poor. So it, who's poor in the world? Is it the person who, who always wishes they, like, really just doesn't have what we think they should have? Or is it the person who's all, never content with what they actually do have? He says, it's not the one who has too little, but the man who craves more that's actually poor. And then likewise, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few one. So, so this is the posture that we, we need to get to, and we'll see, we're going to land in just a moment in Philippians 4 that, that this is the principle that Scripture would lead us to as well. Is contentment is what leads us to be able to be okay whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. But how do we get to contentment? Well, first and foremost, we have to settle the source of our satisfaction. That's the big idea of the whole, the, the thread that runs throughout all of Ecclesiastes is if, if you're looking to find satisfaction in life under the sun, if you're, want, you're trying to get satisfaction out of something here on earth, guess what? It's all vanity. You won't find it. You're here wondering about Christianity, like here's the big spoiler alert. Life is hard and it's unrewarding. No matter how much money you make, how many kids you have, he's going to say in a minute, how good your life is, there's still be an emptiness about you unless you look beyond the sun. That's, that's what he's inviting us to, is to go to the end of this rope, go to the end of what the world tells us will satisfy us, and see that it actually doesn't satisfy us. The same is true of money. And so he wants us to see that, feel that, and go there so that we'll look beyond this world. Right? We, we, we did this in the pleasure sermon, so I'm going to move quickly through this, but just a few weeks ago, like the same thing, like we think that these, these joys, these pleasures, these things will satisfy us. And C.S. Lewis says, okay, if we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't satisfy you. And if you'll take a look at that, what does that tell you? If you find in yourself desires of which nothing in this world can satisfy, that should tell us what? That we're made for something beyond this world. It's the logic and the flow of scripture is to, is to realize, okay, we're not made for this world to fill us up. We're made for something beyond that. And when we get something beyond that, now this world can have its rightful place of enjoyment in our life. So the first, the first big thing, that the, the thing that we have to do if we want to experience commitment and freedom from the financial danger that exists, we have to understand that we will never find satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ. Like, and I know that sounds like a real church answer for those of you that are here and you're skeptical, like, but... That's the message of the Bible is that, hey, listen, God has given you good gifts in this world. He's given you pleasure. He's given you relationships. He's given you, like, money, food. Like, and he didn't have to give. He didn't have to make those things good. He could have made you get your sustenance without food tasting, tasting good. He could have made you have kids without sex feeling good. Like, this, this is the, the pleasure of our God is to give us pleasure. Like, he enjoys that. But... Those good gifts will never, in and of themselves, fill you up. 
doesn't matter how many you get, how much you get. You don't believe me? Just follow the parables of our celebrity culture. See how many of them get to the pinnacle of what our world says should be, and they're still empty. Many of them have said as much. Right? Jim Carrey, I, I wish, he says, man, I wish everybody could have as much money as they want so they can do anything they want and they could see then that it doesn't make you happy. So if we're willing to hear those warnings, then we can get to a place where we're about to understand the meaning of life. And that can lead you to a place of despair where you can go, what's the point? And, and Solomon got there several times. What, what, what is the point then? But it's there in that moment of realizing that this world can't offer you what you're craving, that there in that moment is where the gospel is able to speak to the deepest part of your soul and actually to satisfy you in the deepest part of your soul. You see, what we were made for, the thing that we are longing for, is God himself. We, we saw earlier that uh, in chapter 3 that, that Solomon says God has put eternity into the heart of man. Like, we long for something beyond this world. And, and the reason that we're not satisfied is because we're separated from God. We're separated from the thing that we're made for. We're, our sin keeps us from him. And so this is why Jesus stepped into our mess of history, took on flesh, lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we should have died on the cross so that we could be reunited, so that we could be reconciled to the very source of our life. And that's that's God. Like, God is the gift of the gospel. It's not just this fire insurance issue you got to deal with when you die. you got to go somewhere. Do you want to go to hell? No? Okay, pray this prayer, and you got God. He's your ticket out of here. No, he is the gift of the gospel. Like, we get him. That's the good news. And when we realize that, we start to see the song we sang earlier, that when we have Jesus, everything else begins to fade away. And that's what gives us the perspective and the ability to actually have contentment. As we realize, oh, no matter what we have or don't have on earth, we have Christ. As one poet put it, like, we have more than we ever dreamed we could have wanted. That, that in him there are, there are treasures forevermore. There, there are pleasures for us to, to forever enjoy in Jesus himself. And so the, the first thing that we have to do is realize, like, okay, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus and, and cried out to him as Lord, you'll never experience satisfaction. You'll never be filled, period. Okay? But even when you get there, like, there's still a danger, right? We're going we're gonna to end with 1 Timothy 6, uh, chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6 here in a little bit. And, and he warns against the danger of of, of money leading us into this place of walking away from our faith. And so, yes, we've got to have Jesus, but then even when we get him, we've got to guard ourselves against the dangers of being ensnared into this pool of, I want more, I need more, right? And so, try to sum it up for you that uh, the, the next thing that we need, we, we need Jesus, but then once we have Jesus, the way that we keep that contentment in place is through gratitude, right? The Bible is really clear. We should be a people of thanksgiving. We should be a people who are grateful. We should be a people who reflect on what we've been given. All throughout the scripture, God does something for his people, and they set up monuments to remember it. They sing songs about it. They write about it. They tell their kids about it, right? We need to be a grateful people. We need to be a remembering people, okay? Like, 
That's, that's a rhythm of the scripture because we need to be a grateful people because if not, we get focused on what we don't have and we forget what we do. It's a very simple practice of writing down what you're grateful for that actually has, like there's these journals out nowadays, like planners. How many of you have seen these planners? And, and part, of their, part of their practice is, is daily reflecting and writing down three things you're grateful for. Right? And, and this is, that's not Christian at all. It's just like, oh, psychologists have realized if you, if you focus on what you have, it's good for you. Like practically, actually good for you. Makes you healthier, physically healthier. It's good for you. Okay? Well, listen, that's just them affirming the scriptures, right? This is, this is what Solomon is saying here whenever he says that with the people who are able to accept their lot and enjoy, they will be a people who are content. So, so Jesus plus gratitude is going to equal contentment for us. So let's look as he goes on to, to sort of point this out even further in, in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. He says that he keeps observing. He says, this is a, an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. So this is something that, that really squashes people, he says, that leads to depression, that leads to, to struggle, that leads to anxiety. What is it? He goes, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all of his desires. And yet, God does not give him the power to enjoy them. This is vanity. But a stranger enjoys them, he says. He, like, he's got all this stuff, but he can't enjoy them. Other people come over, they enjoy it, but he can't rejoice in it. He says, this, this is vanity, and this weighs heavy. This is a burden. I want you to see it that way. This is a burden that lays on to mankind. This is vanity, and this is a grievous evil, he says. It goes on to say, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are, are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, he says, I say this, a stillborn child is better, better off than he. This is hard, dark language, but, but he's saying it, it comes in vanity and in darkness and in darkness that is, that is covered. Moreover, it's, it's not seen, like he's talking about a kiddo that, that is born, like, yeah, they're, they're in darkness, they never got to enjoy life, but, it, but at least it says it, that child finds rest rather than the person who's striving and has all this stuff but isn't able to enjoy it. He's saying it's better to be expedited to this place of rest even and to miss out on life than to live a life, have all the stuff, but not be able to enjoy it. See, that's, a, that's, that's crushing. It's crushing. And the gospel has come to rescue us from this, this perpetual promise that, that was put before us. If you get this, you get that, you get here, you get there, you'll be happy. No, it, it will crush you. This is like, okay, can we just be honest? Why is the richest nation and richest people in history also the most depressed, most plagued with mental illness, highest rates of suicide? Why do those things coexist? This is why. It's e like to, to have stuff but not be able to enjoy it, to have stuff to, to never be full, to be constantly eating but never to feel satisfied, that's miserable. That's what Solomon says. It's, it's miserable. Like he's grieving this. He's not just like, well, hey, it'd be better if you figured out how to not be greedy be better if you figured out how not to get in debt. Like Solomon is grieving this. Like these are this is this is passionate and, and probably even tears are being spilled out as he's writing this down. This is a grievous thing, he says, for people to have stuff, but to have no fulfillment. 
Our hearts should break at that. And it's crushing our world. It's crushing the people around us. Like we, we as, a, as, as God's people, we have to shift out of this place of just trying to placate and keep up with the world. Too many churches, we're just about, we, we just want to put on a show and fill up our room and we're just competing with, you know, the other churches and, okay, can we have the coolest band? Can we have the, you know, the, the funniest preacher? Can we have the, the nicest stuff so that people want to come here? And we're just playing into this world of like, come here, we'll, sat, we'll scratch your itches, we'll satisfy your needs. Like, like that is a that is not how God has put his church in a place to be. We, we need to get back to being a formative people, a formative place that, that, we, that we sit here and go, okay, Lord, you shape us into what you want us to be. We're not here for the, like, the world has told us this, and, and maybe something in the Bible, maybe something in here can help me get where the world says I should be. Oh, we go, Lord, where should I be? Where should I be? And where should the world be? Help me to be a light. That shows other people how to get there. Like, we need to be a formative people who are showing the world, this is how we live. Yeah, the world's jacked up. Yeah, there's, 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 there's babies being born that, that, frankly, nobody wants. That's true. So then when you say other babies need to be born, it's a real hard argument to say that. And they say, well, their foster care is full of people. I, I get that. And, frankly, it's hard to argue. I got a baby in my house right now because... I didn't really want another baby. In fact, it was just on layaway for another family while their license gets there. But still, nonetheless, like, yeah. So instead of just fussing about it and joining in the rhetoric, let's get in the game and do something about it. It's my final point, but I'm already there, I guess. Like, we, we need to, in order to be rescued from the power of money, we need to give money purpose beyond ourselves. Because what does he say? Yeah, if we're just looking for ourselves, if we're just trying to get what we can, what does that turn into? Well, the people supervising the work, they're profiting off the backs of somebody else, and they're, they're, somebody's profiting off of their work. But he says, what's good for the world? Back in verse 9 of chapter 5, he says, when the king is out cultivating fields, when the king is about being like making the world better for everybody, so we take our power, we take our influence, and we turn it into a purpose beyond ourselves, now not only are we free from money, but we see our money actually do some work. We see our money actually push back the darkness in the world. And now we're not just adding to the rhetoric, fussing like everybody else is. Now we're getting to work. We're, doing some, we're pushing back the darkness. We're being the salt and the light. We're being the hands and feet of Jesus. Like If we don't get out of that, if we just keep placating to people's like, desires and, and, and scratching people's ears, like Paul tells Timothy this, hey, like, you need to be warned. There's going to come a day when people, they don't want to hear sound teaching. What they want to hear is what they want to hear. And so many churches, like, it's easy to get caught up into that and, and, and say, well, I mean, we, you know, we don't want to offend people. We, we have a customer service mindset. No, we need to have a formative people mindset. We need to have thus saith the Lord mindset. This is who we're to be. Come here and let's get on mission together for who God has called us to be. And let's go out there and make a difference in this broken world. Like, that's who we should be. So when it comes to money, we shouldn't be dominated by money. We need to be people who rightly handle it. People who are rescued from the anxiety that it can bring. Not crushed by it, the way that Solomon says is so common. So Jesus plus some gratitude can lead us to contentment. But we got to practice that gratitude, right? It says in verse, uh, verse 9 there of chapter 6, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. So what is he saying? Better is to, to see what you got and enjoy it. 
than to have a perpetual appetite where you're never satisfied with anything. Okay, I want to I look quickly to uh, Philippians chapter 4. And I, I quoted this in the, in a few weeks ago when we talked about pleasure in general. But it's such a good, like we need to come back to this. This needs to be like Americans' life. Like we need to like know this passage. We need to quote it often. We need to tell it to ourselves to quiet our souls and the anxiety that is there. It ends with the famous passage that I can do all things with Christ who, who strengthens me. You need the context here. It's so rich and so beautiful. So I, I don't think I have it on the screen. So you can listen or you can turn there, Philippians chapter 4. But it says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Our world needs reasonableness. Amen. The Lord is at hand. So don't be anxious about anything. That's a big statement. We could stay a long time right there. Don't be anxious about anything, but in, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So you got you got desires, you got, you got stuff, like bring them to God, but also bring your thanksgiving to God. Don't just tell him what you need, thank him for what you have. And, and when you do this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The world should be looking at us and going, how are you so happy? You're poor. How are you so happy? Your, your car's old and busted. Your house isn't that nice. You didn't go on a vacation this year. How are you still happy? The world should be asking questions like this, going, this surpasses understanding. I don't get it. How do you get there? He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, this, this is what he says he does. This is sort of Paul's practice of how does he survive the ups and downs, having a lot, not having anything. He says, this is what I do. I have to, and, and he says, follow my, follow my lead here. Brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What's the world trying to get you to do? Think about what you don't have. Man, you know you don't have that? You can buy it from us, and then you'll be happy. They all got it. Look how happy they are. People on commercials are always real happy, aren't they? Right? This is what we're working against. Paul says, okay, no, no. Think about these things, whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, whatever's worthy of praise. Think about these things. And then he goes, verse 10, he goes, listen, I'm grateful for your concern. I just need to teach you this lesson, not because I have a need, but because I've learned to be content. Paul says that I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, in, every, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and in hunger, abundance and in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the guy who says, listen, I had a lot of stuff. I had credit, I had like credentials and pedigrees and degrees and, and respect and money and all of these stuff, and I count it all as what? Dung, rubbish, crap. Why? Just because? Because he's real religious and he's just writing off enjoying life? No. Because of Christ. Because because I have Jesus, all of that stuff that the world said I need, I'm okay without it. Because I got Jesus. And he goes, and when I keep telling myself that and I remember what Jesus has done for me, that is what allows me, that's what allows me to be content and to do all things. That's the secret of having plenty or having not. So, Jesus plus gratitude equals contentment. You need to be a people who practice gratitude. Like for real, what would it look like for you to sit down by yourself, you got a family, with a family, and actually make a list of things you're grateful for? I know it sounds, it sounds kind of goofy. It's powerful. 
again, people are making money in just the, like, the world of self-help by just saying, hey, take five minutes a day and write down three things you're grateful for. We should be, like, they should be learning that from us. We should be a people who, they don't understand why we're happy, and we tell them, well, I got what I need. Well, Lord, I got Jesus, and I got stuff. I got whatever I need. I haven't missed any meals. It's good. That's a powerful testimony to other people, but it's also the diffusing power of anxiety in our own life. That's what takes the weight off that Solomon is talking about. He says this weight crushes people. What takes it off? People who can accept what they have, as he said earlier, and enjoy life. That's how Paul tells us to do it. So, and then I've already alluded to this, but I think, uh, okay, so Jesus plus gratitude is going to lead you to a place of contentment. How do, you, how do you now leverage that even beyond and have a healthy posture toward money? You need contentment. You also need a purpose. You need a purpose for your life. You need a purpose for your money. If your only purpose is your happiness and your indulgence, then you're going to get caught right back up in the cycle of pursuing more money. But how do you stay out of that? You need to give your money purpose beyond yourself. You need to give your money purpose beyond yourself. As we said earlier, that, that when, when the person who has the most money and power is actually looking out for the good of everybody and cultivating fields in verse 9, then we start to see some real leverage happen. We start to see some real goodness happen. Okay, uh, Jonathan Swift says this. He says, a wise person should have money in their head but not in their heart. What does he mean by that? Uh, well, uh, P.T. Barnum says, money's a terrible master, but it's actually a really good servant. What does he mean by that? Like, listen, if we're ran and, and, and controlled by money, we're not good for any, like, we're, it's going to crush us. But when we realize, oh, I don't have to be controlled by this, but God has given it to me, and I could put this stuff to work, then it becomes a great joy giver. You know, it's better to what? It's better to give than to receive? I got more out of that than they did? Like, we know this. It's better to actually give our money away. That actually gets you more you know, dopamine, chemical hits, and leads to actual happiness than trying to spend it on yourself. How many of you know the feeling of getting what you thought you had to have and almost instantly feeling regret, feeling let down? You know that feeling, don't you? Have something beyond yourself to open your hands and give it to, purpose beyond you, and, and, and now you can live in that feeling. You, you could put your money to work for the good of the kingdom and for the good of God's people. All right, let's, let's end with 1 Timothy chapter 6, and this will be on the screen, but you can turn there if, if you'd like. This is so profound, and this is, I think, a word for us as God's people in today's world. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and to destruction. For what? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through, the, it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many great pangs. So this is a warning. This is a pastor warning a young pastor to warn his church don't let people get caught up in this pursuit of money. It will harm them. It, it will harm them. And this is what leads to so much evil. I want you to skip down to verse 17. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set, them, set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. All right? Y'all checked out your stocks lately? You're just gone to the gas tank or gas pump? <laughs> Y'all see that meme where guys 
pulls up and somebody's like, can I help you, man? He's like, no, I'm just looking, right? Can't even afford to buy it, right? Like, it's just, it's insane. He said, don't, don't set yourself, don't set your hopes on that stuff. You thought you had a good budget. Now you can't afford to drive anywhere, right? Like, don't set yourself, like, you thought you had good investments and the market crashes. Like, don't set your hope on those things. Rather, on God. Why? Because unlike the market, he doesn't go up or down. He doesn't have good days and bad days, right? Like we don't have to wonder where the market is for him. We don't have to watch the net. Like we don't have to check for that stuff. Why? He's a God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This is not God trying to take from you. He's trying to lead you to enjoy life. So what are they to do? Those, he's talking about those who have money. Those who have riches, what are they to do? They are to do good, to be rich in not funds, but in good works, to be generous and to be ready to share. Right? It's not, again, it's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to earn a lot of money. It's wrong not to give it away, though. It's wrong to be stingy with it. It's wrong to hold it for yourself. These should be people who are, who are leveraging that money for the good of of other people, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And some of y'all, like, I get emails about these things. They're like, well, that sounded like, are you a socialist, Jordan? Are you preaching about socialist stuff? I'm like, no. Well, are you capitalist? I, I mean, I'm not a socialist. I think people die when you go that direction. So just rest it easy, okay? Like, that's not me. But that's what happens when we're trying to, we're trying to, like, form the church or our faith from the world's perspective. Again, we need to be a formative people, a people formed by the word and not by the world. And when that happens, we can just let this be like, it's not wrong to use a capitalistic society to make a lot of money. Praise God. Give a lot of it away too. Turn it loose for the kingdom. Earn a lot of money. That's what I'm saying. You're wondering what, earn a lot of money. Get good jobs. Do good work and give a lot of it away. Turn it loose for the kingdom. For, for, the go, for the glory of God and for the joy of your own soul. Because if you don't, it'll cause such a rot in your soul that you, like, like the man that Solomon painted the picture of, he's eating alone in the dark and he's angry and he's bitter. That's what happens to people who hold on to it. Make a lot of money. Give a lot of it away, though. And when you do that, verse 19, you're storing up treasure for yourselves as a good foundation for the future. So that you may take hold of what that which is truly life. Man, isn't that a good scripture? And it's so good. Like, this is what God wants for us. You hear stuff in the church, you're like, oh, it's just hard. I don't know. Like, I just seem wanting more, and I got a building fund now, I got all this stuff. And it's like, no, what God wants for you, it's right there. Like, He wants you to be able to take hold of that which is truly life. And in order to do that, you got to let go of your money you got, you got to have an open-handed posture about your money. Otherwise, it's got a hold of you. You may think you're holding on to it. In reality, it's holding on to you. It's crushing you. It's sucking the life out of you. So Jesus plus gratitude is going to lead you to a place of contentment. Contentment plus purpose is going to get you to a place where you can have a healthy view of wealth. And you can even handle wealth. But you can also handle poverty. Okay? That's where he wants our people to be. So, man, will you, will you listen to this? Will you, will you end with this prayer with me? Can we pray this prayer together? Lord, 
You know how empty I feel right now and at times. Will you help me turn away from all the things that I'm using to fill the empty spaces in my life and fill me with your grace instead? Can we, can we just pray that prayer together? Can that be our posture as we move to a time of response? God, as a people, we just admit that we struggle with an emptiness. We struggle with craving more. And we try to fill it with stuff that turns out to be, like Jeremiah said, man, it's just a broken well. We can't actually get it full. We can't actually find sustenance there. So would you take those things from us and fill those empty spaces of our life with your grace instead? Help us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.